1: Hello and welcome to The Parenthood. I've often thought that if babies were born, being able to talk, life for new mothers would be a lot easier. So often I found myself looking at my baby crying, racking my brain trying to work out what was wrong. And the difference when they can communicate, even just basically, makes it much easier to feel like you're being a good mother. But is it just a question of waiting until they eventually develop the skill of communication or is there anything we as parents can do to help develop language in young babies? Well with me today is someone who thinks we can. Jennifer Rorick is a speech and language therapist who in spite of working with children whose lives are made more difficult by neurological conditions believes that there are various things that we as parents can do that will help our children communicate sooner. Jennifer thank you so much for joining me today it's a really great subject to talk about because so often we focus on I remember when I was a young mother I you know aged like four months my daughter was having swimming lessons and then you're teaching them music lessons and actually no one ever talks about teaching them the basic skill of communication
2: yeah you're absolutely right and it's actually it's only really since I've become a parent that I've myself thought how useful the skills that I've got as a speech and language therapist are to all parents in terms of supporting their child because you're absolutely right I went to weaning classes I went to like you said baby swimming baby massage baby yoga but there's so much of a focus on doing something and attending classes but much less in terms of what you can just be doing in your everyday routines to help your baby and young children in terms of their communication skills
1: And why, I mean, this is a bit of a rhetorical question because I do appreciate as a mother why it's so important, but beyond the sort of basic, you know, you're able to tell your mother whether you're hungry or cold or in pain, why is speech and language development such an important milestone for children?
2: It's so important, I think, because actually when you think about it, communication is everything that we do. If you're struggling to communicate as you get older, it will impact your academic success, it will impact your ability to form relationships with adults, with children, it will impact your ability to problem solve, to be able to kind of clearly let people know what it is that you want and you need. We know from the research that actually two-year-olds, I mean I, I still have a two-year-old, she's nearly three, but she's still prone to a tantrum or two, that children who are toddlers, who've got better vocabularies, they're much less likely to have behavioural you know, the behavioural tantrums and those sorts of things. So actually, communication is a key to helping your child to be able to engage with you and engage with the world around them. I don't know if you've ever been in a... I mean, I'm not particularly good at languages, but the only thing I can compare it to when I was much younger, I travelled in China. And when I first got there, I didn't understand anything at all. And I felt really quite anxious until I'd learned a little bit about what was going on, understood some words. It made a huge difference to be able to just navigate what was happening through understanding communication. So I think for children, like you say, it is a bit of a rhetorical question, but it's something that parents, we don't really think of because it's something that we just think our children are just going to do. They're just going to pick it up naturally.
1: And also, you know, as, a, as an adult, if you think about how frustrated you feel when you don't feel understood yes. and put that back to literally even the most basic requests, you can't necessarily communicate how of course how frustrating it's going to be and it sort of makes you understand and we talk about the terrible twos and we sort of mm. roll our eyes as parents and think oh we have to endure it but actually putting yourself in your child's position that yeah. you know they can't communicate and so much of that is probably going to explain a lot of behavior that we find quite difficult to deal with absolutely absolutely I remember so well actually my niece, she was definitely a late talker and mm. I remember once going on a car journey with her and she screamed and screamed and screamed and screamed and I am looking at my sister going, how do you deal with this? She goes, it's every time, but what mm. can I do? And then about six months later as she was developing her basic vocabulary, we got in the car and she managed to convey the fact that she was thirsty and then was just quiet and it just made me think that maybe she was just really thirsty but she couldn't communicate that basic need that would have been so easily resolved and it just put into perspective how how important it is to speak but also how much more difficult it's got to be to be a parent for someone to a child that just naturally will talk a little bit later you've just got so much so many more months of that inability to meet their needs simply because you haven't been able to ascertain what those needs are. Absolutely, and
2: I think it's also, thinking about that, it's one of the milestones that I think parents really wait for. They're really excited thinking, when's my baby going to say their first word? And when, perhaps, if first words are a little bit later, I think that can be really stressful because it's such an obvious feature and lots of parents saying, oh, my baby says this, or my baby says this, and that can become quite difficult and add more pressure to it when actually what you need is is less pressure. So yeah, it can be really tricky, both for parents and for little ones.
1: And, and those milestones, I mean, I know as a new parent, you think a lot about it and people are always, you know, especially the doctors are kind of asking whether or not you've reached those milestones. What are those milestones? Let's just clarify, when should babies, when do they usually start um, saying their first words and being able yeah. to communicate?
2: So actually, I mean, babies are amazing. They do so much in their first year of life before they're even saying a word. So you typically expect first words to emerge anywhere between about 10 and 14 months, but actually they're learning so much. Understanding is what comes first. And I think that's something that parents don't naturally think of that because you're so focused on waiting to hear a word what you'll notice is that before they say the words they're starting to pick up and understand the words as part of your routine so you know you might be saying dog and they're automatically looking around to look for a dog and those milestones are just as important there's a great they're american it's called the first words project they talk a lot about milestones and i think we really get fixated on words they talk a lot about the importance of gestures and the importance of having 16 gestures at 16 months being really predictive of future communication skills and it's quite a nice way to think of because little ones they're always you know they're beckoning you they might blow a kiss they're starting to point and wave and actually if your little one's perhaps a little bit late with their words being able to cue in and think well wow, actually they're using lots of gestures to communicate is really really helpful but those are kind of yeah the main it's sort of for early words 10 to 14 months is what you typically expect.
1: And when is when do you begin to worry? Because obviously there are some children that are just naturally late speakers. Is, yes. Is that correct?
2: Absolutely. And I think, you know, we touched on that a little bit in terms of why children have these difficulties. You know, some children might have an underlying medical condition as to why they might not be talking. And then there's a group of children, we just don't really know. And there are risk factors, but there are a group of children, as you identify, who are just called late talkers. And in this group, it's very common, you might see that they're understanding, they're communicating in other ways. So they might be pointing and uh, 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 making lots of noise and jargon, but they're just not using their words. Now, I think there's so many myths, and there's always a very helpful grandmother or aunt saying, well, you know, Jack didn't speak until he was three, he'll be fine. Which I think sometimes those myths are just really not helpful. Because what we know is that it's really important just to get some advice and help early. So i I would say if your every child is different, and words are the only just one of those milestones, so you would also be looking at things like understanding how your child responds and engages to you with you um you might be looking at the gestures like we are talking about, so communication as a whole rather than just words but I would say if you if you are concerned having a look there's a couple of great websites that I can communicate is the children's charity and the first words project they actually detail milestones in their ages and stages section which are good to look at I think as a parent personally I think milestones can be a little bit off-putting because you don't want to be comparing your child to other children but actually when it comes to communication what we know is that understanding where your child is at and if there is a slight gap being able to then think this is what I want to do to help them move forward to make their life easier it's really helpful to kind of be aware of that and be able to seek support if that's needed.
1: But you're a believer that there are certain things that we as parents can do that might make that transition into being able to communicate a little bit easier. So so what can we do? And I guess, I mean, presumably you can start right at the very beginning.
2: Absolutely. And I think babies, like I said, I mean, babies are amazing when you watch how they communicate with everyone around them. I mean, their brains are just hardwired for interaction and for learning to communicate because it's such a fundamental thing that we do as people i will never tire of seeing a baby on a bus and giving them a smile and they just instantly smile back at you because that's the way that our brains work and they know from really little ones that they do these amazing sucking studies that as soon as your baby's born they could recognize your language so say I was a Japanese speaker they'd recognize Japanese from say English which is incredible so you know they have a dummy in their mouth and different um, languages are played to them they know that the baby recognizes Japanese because they start to suck the dummy really hard. They recognise it and they're picking up on it. So I think it's never too early. And that's
1: from in utero. That's from From, what they are hearing while they're
2: inside. Absolutely. And I think it's never too early to really start thinking about tips around communication. And, you know, I think all those things about remembering that language comes from interaction. So without interaction, it's a bit like, you know, all those awful, I think it's more sort of back in the 80s, the awful... Stories about the Romanian babies in orphanages who don't get any interaction and they don't learn to talk because what you need to learn to talk, you need to have interaction. It's not about teaching language to your baby. Every time you look at them, every time you engage, it's so natural that we pick up a baby. We hold them in our arms. We look at them. We're face to face with them. We start copying those sounds. Actually, they're things that most parents do naturally. But you're actually really supporting your child's communication skills from doing them. So from very early on, you can be doing things to engage with your baby, being face to face, copying their sounds, copying their babble. It teaches them about having a little conversation, sort of vocal turn taking, playing at their level, sort of following the things that they're interested in. I remember as a sort of new parent being sometimes slightly frustrated that I I mean I spent a huge money amount of money on things from Amazon that I thought this is going to be really helpful this will help her do this and actually her just being really interested in the box or the packaging but if we can follow their lead they're going to be more likely to communicate about those things that they're interested in so not always feeling that you've got to you know you've got to do this now, we're going to run to this next class or we're going to rush and do this. But actually just following their lead, having a structured play time for little ones and focusing on what they're interested in and really playing are really key things for little ones to support that early language development.
1: Yeah, it's so interesting that I was, we were recording about, probably about a year ago now, actually, a podcast with a child psychiatrist um, called Catherine Hollins. And we were, she was talking about how it is possible to communicate with your newborn baby and that they will communicate with you, obviously not using words that we're familiar with, but they will use their little cues absolutely. and gestures to communicate with you and she said what we tend not to do as very new parents is listen to our children. Yes, and absolutely. we had when we were recording, she we had a lady here with her newborn baby and Catherine was sitting and chatting to the baby and she was talking to the baby using lots of facial expressions and really engaging with the baby But then most crucially she'd stop and listen and the baby would communicate back and I just it was one of the most amazing things I've seen this and this baby was literally four weeks old she said up to eight weeks it's unbelievable if you actually stop and listen and allow them to talk in their way they will do that and it was there was a proper sort of it was a bit like a sort of tennis match there was this you know she spoke then the baby spoke then she spoke then and and it was amazing to see and actually I felt really sad that I'd never done that with my child and actually
2: I think a lot of parents sometimes feel a bit silly thinking I've got to copy their sounds and just wait but You know, they absolutely love it. And it's very much teaching them about the two-way communication. And like you said about Catherine, people, they used to call it motheries, but I think it's now called parenties. So talking in a naturally kind of more, slightly more high-pitched voice, slightly more engaging for children. And babies love faces. So making sure that you're face-to-face when you're doing that gives them the biggest opportunities in terms of engaging with you and developing their communication skills. I think what you touched on in terms of waiting, I always, a lot of the parents that I work with, I always emphasize waiting and pausing because actually if we do that, we're giving them a chance to respond even with a really little one. If they're lying on the changing table and you're tickling their tummy and you just wait to see how are they going to tell me that they want some more. So in little ones, probably from about six months onwards, They might squeal, they might grab your hands, but they're so pleased with themselves because they're learning that they can send you a message. I like that and I made that noise or I used that gesture and mommy did it again. And that is so satisfying. It helps children learn that they're intentional, that they can communicate with other people around them. And I think that's, it can be really frustrating, you know, that feeling of not being listened to. So I think if we're able to listen to them when they're really little, it makes a big difference, definitely.
1: And reacting to them, too, because I guess in a way it gives them a a massive sense of power um, and security that actually people do notice them and they react in the way that, you know, they want that, you know, if you're sort of gesturing that you're hungry or you want water and then someone reacts in that positive way, that is such a reassuring. I mean, I just I'm just sort of thinking, imagine if I was suddenly thrust into, you know, a culture where no one understood a word I saw, let's say Japan. Yeah, you know and no one could understand me, I'd feel scared and frightened and frustrated. And if there was someone who started to understand me, the reassurance and happiness that I'd feel in that situation would be massive, absolutely massive. Absolutely,
2: you know, you're absolutely right. I think that's a really good way to kind of compare it. And I think in terms of, so thinking a little bit about as children get older, you know, there's equally, there's lots that parents can be doing with their children as they get older as well. There's a great study about vocabulary development, which it just kind of highlights the type of words that children need to hear. So I think really between the ages of about one and two, what little ones need to hear they need to hear lots and lots of words they need you to be talking to them all of the time so commenting on what you're doing in terms of their daily routines if you're washing hands you'll be saying wash hands rub hands push soap giving lots and lots of language models so that they can pick up on that and by the time they then become sort of between two to three what they really need to be listening to is less common words so in your play you might be introducing different words than the words that they already know so you might be saying oh you look a little weary instead of tired i'm going to purchase that instead of buy just so that they're having that opportunity to expand their vocabulary and we also know as children get older between sort of three and four what's important to them is those use of narratives so talking about what's happened in the past, what you're going to be doing at the weekend. So all of those chats that you have, those two fro, we're going to see grandma, we're going to be doing this, they are so important, they're really building your child's vocabulary. At that stage as well, answering the never-ending why questions, it is really important because it lays the foundation of problem-solving skills, it's really going to help your Your little ones be able to develop those skills and I think one of the things that I'm really keen to impress on parents is that this doesn't have to be something that you have to go out and buy flashcards or you have to sit down or go to a class it's about those two fro conversations that you have All of the time. And I think, interestingly, at the moment in this lockdown situation, a lot of the parents that I work with have actually noticed a lot of improvement in their children's language skills. I think partly because they've had the opportunity to slow down, spend more time together, focus purely on their little one when they're playing and those sorts of things. And it's it's made quite a big, big impact, which is really
1: great. That's so interesting. At the beginning of lockdown, actually, I had a chat with an educator. He's a sort of educational pioneer. And we talked about sort of education in lockdown. And he said, do you know what, there are many good things about this. And he said, one of the things that children crave the most is to be listened to and heard. And often in the school environment, it's just impossible for one teacher who's in charge of 30 children to listen to each child, especially the quieter ones who aren't going to necessarily shout out and kind of demand to be heard. And um, he said, you know, know, obviously, it's not ideal that they're not going to school and They're missing out on the social. But even if you just spend the extra time you have with your children just listening to them, that is going to make a huge difference. And it sort of correlates with what you were saying in terms of listening then promotes, you know, their confidence in terms of talking as well and expressing themselves and and their feelings.
2: And absolutely, it promotes that you've got something worthwhile to say. You know, I think we all want our children to be confident communicators, to go out there and be able to do the things that they they want to do and not let anything hold them back. And I think we can really support that early on by listening to them, being at their level, showing them in how we communicate with them that they're really, really important. Now, I think I get asked quite a lot about screen time and I think there's some really helpful advice on the British Association of Paediatricians about that. I think what... I'm probably more concerned about as a speech therapist is not so much about children watching screens but about parents who are on screens and therefore not responding to their children and there was actually a really interesting article by the she's the president of the American Speech and Hearing Association and she was likening the impact of distracted parenting because they're on their phone and not necessarily picking up on cues from their baby she was likening it to the impact of Passive smoking on a child, so in 20 years' time, we'll see the impact of this. Because I think there is a lot of research about being responsive. So if you're out in the park and your little ones see something exciting and they point at it and they go, uh, eh, what they need you to do is also to be aware that they're pointing at it and say, oh, a dog, so that they see the dog, they hear the word, and therefore they learn it. And I think you know everyone is busy it's very difficult I think with the we're so available with technology but I would say making sure that there are times when you're just able to put down a phone and put it away because there's always an email there's always a message that needs to be you know that you need to get back to and I think having that time to like you say to absolutely listen and your child be the focus of that is really really important as well.
1: Yeah, and I think it's also about, you know, affording your child that respect. You know, if a friend of yours came around for... a cup of tea you wouldn't sit there on your phone be sort of doing an email and not engaging with them no. if you're there with your child like that is, not only is it saying that it's acceptable socially acceptable to do that to ignore yes. someone who's chatting to you but also you're kind of telling them that they're not sort of worth your time so I, I've got to say I really agree with you I try and switch my phone on silent and it's very difficult especially now during lockdown because you know, we're with our kids 24-7 but I suppose even if there's just a certain like if I was fine with my kids actually sitting down and having a meal together and it's not always Mm. that I'm eating but I'll have a cup of tea or something but I'll put my phone away out of the room so it's not sitting there you know these things are such distraction magnets, aren't they? They're, they're they actually, engineered yeah. by the very cleverest people for yes. us to want to pick them up and look at them the whole time. So it's quite a big sort of fight. So, yeah, out of the room so that you then have the opportunity, you know, you give your children the attention. You know, and they're, the, they're the people we love and are invested exactly. in the most. And yet yeah. socially, we, we often make the least amount of effort with them.
2: Absolutely. And I think... Often it's tricky, isn't it? Because we're picking them up from nursery, we're rushing to the next thing, and it can be quite difficult to have that time. And I think with really little ones, the children who have got a language difficulty, part of the advice we give sometimes is about having special time of 10 minutes. And it's only 10 minutes where you're just playing and you're focusing on them and you're following what they're interested in. And I actually think that's really key for all children. I think also we tend to pick them up and the first thing we do is ask a question. What did you do today? How was your day? What did you have for lunch? And they always say nothing or I, I can't remember, which, which is what my daughter, daughter says. Yes. And I think <laughs> there's ways around that. I think often children children don't tend to be like to ask questions, direct questions. And I think we know from the literature on language development that actually making comments instead of asking a question is a really helpful way to support language development. So they call it the hand rule so that for every... So out of five, for every one question, you make four comments. So instead of picking them up and saying, what did you do today? Did you play outside? Asking really direct questions. You might make a comment instead like, oh, something funny happened to me today. And just wait to see how they respond. Or you might offer them a choice. So did you play inside or outside? And you'll be surprised. You'll get a lot more language back in terms of having a conversation because I think from all my friends with children who don't have language difficulties that's the the biggest complaint that oh they never tell me anything they never tell me what they're doing and I think if you don't have that it can be quite hard to start a conversation as well especially when they're tired and you've got to get tea and do all the other things that you need to be rushing around and doing as well.
1: And I think often as parents, especially once they can talk, so I've got a nine and a ten-year-old, mm. and you know they're 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 pretty good at speaking. Yes. But I presu- I just assume that they have the language skills that I do, aged forty-two. Yes. And so I will I'll pick them up from school and go, "How was school?" And I it's only recently I've come to appreciate that that is a massive, massive yes. question. And just because my children can speak very well, they still you know yeah. three decades behind me and actually it's so much easier if I did say did you have science today rather than this sort of the the one that I asked for years you know picking them up when they're in reception going how was school and, and then yes. being disappointed that every time I asked them, they said fine 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 every day it was fine and I didn't get mm. much more out of them but I think the engagement is also it's so key. I was, obviously, we've been spending a lot of time with our children in lockdown. And my, my daughter recently, she's hilarious. I was doing something on my phone. I was distracted. And she was asking me a question. I wasn't really responding. And she went, goodness me, the internet is slow today. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious because I wasn't responding yes. to her and it was such a good way for her to get my attention yeah. and of course then we had a laugh about it but it also afforded me then the opportunity to say I'm so sorry I'm quickly responding to this really important email and but then I'm going to put my phone away and I think that's probably another thing that you know it's so easy to say okay when I'm around my children I'm not going to have my phone with me but that's impossible so even if you just apologize yeah. to your children like you would a friend and say do you know what give me three minutes I'm going to do this and you also have to be realistic about like don't just yeah. say it two minutes if it's going to be half an hour absolutely Give me x amount of time i will focus on this and then i will 100 percent be able to focus on you
2: yeah absolutely you know you're completely right i think you know, it's impossible to, especially in lockdown at the moment. You, you know, there's lots of things that people need to be doing, but you're right. I think having clear boundaries and then having that time of, okay, now I'm with you. We're going to focus on something together. Um, and so and yeah. also,
1: I, I suppose you know, if you know, a lot of a, a lot of us are, are working parents and rely on other caregivers to look after our children. And I think, especially when you know, you have someone that you're paying, I have mm. always just been really clear that you know when you're with my children obviously I want you to be available in case I do need to call you but please like the amount of times I see nannies in the park with children the nannies on the phone and the children are sort of desperately trying to get their attention. I yes. mean, I think it's really that is sad. a dereliction of care, personally. You know, I, yeah. I'd, to almost say, listen, I, I know this does sound a bit mean, but actually when you're with my children, I'm paying you, please, can you be absolutely present for them rather than checking Facebook because yeah. actually it is a bit dull spending a whole day yeah. with a three-year-old.
2: Absolutely, yes, of course. And I think, you know, you're absolutely right because I think, you know, more and more now, I think people just really, I think, in terms of incidence of language difficulties, Language delay is the, by far the most common developmental delay. And at least one in every 10 children will have a language delay, which is a lot of children.
1: Yeah, do you think, so just curiously, do you think that is getting worse with the advent of screens being perpetually in our lives? Or is that something that's always been the case?
2: I think it's difficult to say. I think people perhaps pick up on these things a lot more. But I think there are risk factors in terms of it. So I think, you know, there's a group of children that we touched on in terms of being a late talker where you... You, you know they their difficulties are likely to resolve there is a group of children who and they sort of say two in two in every class so in two in every 30 children are likely to have more long term persistent difficulties with language. And I think you're looking at uh, if there's a family history or if if your child, when they're little, have difficulties understanding, if they're struggling to understand instructions, that's a risk factor for more persistent difficulties. Also, I think if there's a family history of literacy difficulties, that again is a risk factor for these So we're talking to dyslexia? Yeah, them, them to become sort of more pronounced. And I think, you know, that group of children who go on to have more difficulties, often the children that I work with, they're quite good at covering these things up. They follow the instructors in class because they look around at what everyone else is doing or they look around and they're trying to fit in, they're trying to do it. I think it's a really interesting fact that um, a lot of young offenders, there's, I don't know the exact statistic, but a lot of young offenders have speech and language difficulties and now a lot of speech and language therapists work as advocates in the criminal justice system because, a lot of them don't understand. They've got significant language difficulties and they're very vulnerable to being manipulated to be doing things that they shouldn't be doing or trying to fit in with others. And the impact of those language difficulties can be really, really far reaching.
1: I mean, presumably the anger at not being understood. You know, Absolutely.
2: Frustration or being able to express that. And I think even with emotions, language is central to everything. So language is central to emotions. If you can't make an explanation, you're not going to be able to clearly articulate how you feel. So I think now people are so keen on teaching their children to be emotionally literate. A lot of that does depend on being able to use language because if you can't identify and make an explanation as to how you're feeling, You're going to really struggle with that. So I think, you know, there are obviously other risk factors as well. So socioeconomic status, there are some areas in the UK where 50 percent of a classroom might have language difficulties. And that's huge in terms of the impact on them, their families and society, really, in terms of how they're going to make progress and access the curriculum.
1: How, uh, how big a role does other languages being spoken at home play? I mean, obviously we have a, a large immigrant population yeah. in the UK and, you know, many children whose parents don't speak the language in which they are taught. I mean, I was yeah. talking to a friend of mine who teaches at a comprehensive school and she said in, you know, in reception, 50% or even more of the children, yeah. English is not their first language. And yeah. some children will arrive in reception literally have, hardly having learned any yeah. English because their mother might not even speak English.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And actually, I get asked a lot about bilingualism. I mean, the advice from the Royal College of Speech and Language Therapists is that bilingualism is such a fantastic gift for a child to grow up with. And children who are developing communication skills, typically, they just learn both. So often parents say to me, oh, should I try and teach them? So should I hold up a cup and say it in French and German? Absolutely not. You just need to talk to your baby in the language you feel most comfortable in. So actually, even families who... Are in that situation where their child starts reception and they might not have been speaking English before. It's far better that a parent speaks in the language that they're most familiar in rather than trying to use a language that isn't their natural language because then the child is hearing a broken language model, if that makes sense. So I've worked with some families, I used to work near Westminster and we worked with a big Bengali population, and I think the families felt a big pressure to be speaking to their children in English, we were always saying, look, actually, it's much better if you speak Bengali because you're providing a full and appropriate language model rather than a language model that is not fluent. So those children do, you know, children whose skills are developing typically, once they're submerged in another language, they will pick up those skills so it's always best to talk in the language that you feel most confident with that's not you know as i said one in ten children might have a difficulty with language but that's not going to be caused by bilingualism or being exposed to two languages as well
1: well and also that makes sense because i think what we're teaching children is not so much the words and the vocabulary it's so often the nuance it's the little it's the humor it's the wit and my mother's austrian and and i'm nearly bilingual but not quite and actually where i really notice it is that I can be quite funny and yes. witty in English, but not in German. And, you know, so I can speak German and you can probably, you know, pretty well. But it's that exactly if I had brought my children up just speaking German to them, like I wouldn't, I think, be teaching them the sort of the, the, that nuance of language, yeah, which is absolutely. sort of unteachable. It's not something you can teach as a teacher. It's something you learn no. just through life. And you learn it through exactly like we were saying at the beginning,
2: you learn it through interaction. So you learn it from those opportunities you have with your family to be sitting around, to be engaging, to be sharing humour. All of those sorts of things are so crucial to developing communication skills as a whole.
1: I know. My my mother always said she's a big advocate of speaking languages. She speaks six. She said, Marina, the best way to learn a a language is to have a boyfriend who only speaks that language. (laughs) And it's true. You know, she's always saying, you know, the way the English teach foreign languages is terrible. You're not going to learn French by reciting Je vais, tout va. But you will learn it by falling in love with a Frenchman. (laughs) Yes.
2: Yes. Or immersing, you know, just that immersion is what's important. I mean, I think at my daughter's school, she's in reception and the teachers say, the French teacher said, we just talked to them in French. The girls start off thinking there's something wrong with them. They can't speak to us. And they actually think that they don't speak any English. But because they just talk to them in French, they pick it up really quickly, which is amazing.
1: I presume also reading to your children is really important in terms of communication. Because actually one of the things I find difficult is is conversation with my children. Even though they are nine and ten and they've got really good language skills you know it's not like you're sitting down with three of your girlfriends and you just have a natter and that conversation like you look at your watch it's suddenly midnight you're like where have it come to midnight you love your children so much you're so invested in them and you sit down you've been so looking forward to seeing them you're like so, and you try to have a conversation, and it's so difficult. It's like wading through mud. I often find that we need something to start on. And often reading a book, we can read a story that they're really engaged in because it's a story that they've chosen that is suitable for their age. Yeah. But then we can sort of discuss. And also, I suppose, you know, you talked earlier about the importance of using different vocabulary so that they learn new words. You know, you're reading someone else's words, someone else's perception, and and you can sort of then have a discussion with your children based on that. And that can be that sort of repetitive dear zoo at the beginning to Harry Potter when they're a little bit older. Yeah, absolutely. I think reading is really, really important.
2: I think even when children are getting older, so there's a couple of things from what you were saying. And I agree, you know, trying to strike up a conversation with a nine or 10 year old it's quite tricky at times but having a context so you know that's why I think about screen time there's nothing wrong with watching a tv program together and then having a chat about it afterwards or you know exactly like you say reading a book together or board games or those sorts of things it gives you a bit of a context to talk about afterwards and I think you're absolutely right I think books are a great way to have that shared engagement but also exposing to vocabulary and also pointing out things as well I think my daughter's nearly five and just sort of becoming aware a little bit about hidden meanings so stories with two meanings where there's a sort of implied meaning rather than just being what's spelled out in the words and they're a great tool to kind of explain that or talk about how someone might be feeling so you're developing their sort of emotional literacy skills as well and also to be modelling language everyone loves Julia Donaldson my two-year-old is particularly keen on Charlie Cook and she loves the page with the dragon And for a few times, for a few nights, she goes through a stage where she wants the same story again and again. And she kept saying, he doing fire. And I said, yes, he's breathing fire. I said it a couple of times. And now I never had to say to her to ask her to repeat me or teach it. But she looks at me and says, he's breathing fire. And she's just picked it up. And I think if we hadn't been looking at that book and I hadn't had the opportunity to model it to her, she wouldn't have learned that. So I think exactly like you say, it's a great context to be able to share and to be able to engage together and model vocabulary as well.
1: I mean, sometimes when children get it along, it is impossibly sweet. and It there's- is sometimes you know a desire as parents to want your children to remain childlike and you sort of I remember my I think it was my nephews who used to whenever they they would cut themselves and there was a little bleeding they'd say it's blooding I'm blooding and we all thought that was just impossibly sweet and their mother didn't correct them how important is it for us to correct them when they get it wrong is it detrimental to their development to sort of when they do say something really adorable just to think I just want to keep that
2: I mean it's so sweet when they do it. i think it's always worth giving them a language model i think don't it's not people sometimes feel like they need to ask their children to repeat them repeating them isn't helpful but just offering the correct version so if they say oh it's blooding you might say oh no you're bleeding which you naturally would say so they're having an opportunity to hear it but also you're not correcting because I think if we're constantly correcting it's not a nice feeling either and I think my my elder daughter spoke very clearly whereas the second one her speech she, she makes a few more errors with her sounds and I've never corrected her as such but I'll model it back to her. So she was talking about her sandals the other day and she was saying, my new dandals. I said, yes, your sandals are so lovely. And she looked at me and said, yes, my sandals. So I think just offering that model, it just gives an opportunity for them to pick up and hear it correctly. Whilst I know exactly what you mean, it's completely adorable, but it's still helpful just to give them the correct version as well.
1: Well, and also it's a bit unfair on them if you sort of go, oh yes, your dandles, your dandles, and then they get to school and they're like, look at my dandles, and then other yes. children are like, ha ha, they're not dandles, they're sandals, and then yes, your child feels. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I suppose in a way, if you are, I'm a real sentimental parent and I'm sort of, I'm desperately trying to hold on to childhood, you know, even if you write it down, because actually I did that when my children were younger, we have these kind of books that we fill in once a year about them. It's called The Book of You. And when we look back, they find it hilarious that they they used to say things like that. And actually you're then holding on to the memory because these things you forget, all those little, little sweet things during the day that you, you just love. It's so easy to forget. I mean, I feel like my brain is going Anyway, but if you write them down, then you can revisit them, and they're just so lovely. Then when you do,
2: it is it's really lovely to have that, and I think they are so sweet. I mean, my my older daughter, instead of saying other, she used to say diam. I need my diam shoe. I need my diam biscuit, um, and I have no idea where that came from. But then one day she just stopped and said other. It took her about six months, and I'd always say, oh yes, the other one, and then she just how stopped. did you work
1: so, out that diam was other.
2: I, you know, it was tricky. I, I kept wondering, why is she saying this? Why is she saying this? And we thought it was hilarious because she just kept saying "diam" all the time. And I think children just do; they sometimes make up words from or put two words together to kind of fulfill a purpose. But she was using it consistently in that context that so we kind of worked it out. But it just stopped one day, and then I, I missed it. And we, we still talk about "diam," and you're right; she finds it hilarious.
1: Well, Ludo's first, like, very special toy was this little kind of polar bear comforter thing that he always slept with. And we always used to call it polar bear. And at one point, he started saying, poder poder, And after uh, a, a while, I realised that he was trying to say polar bear. But anyway, this little animal became known as poder. It's still yes, like his most precious that's thing. that's very sweet. He's 10. But, you know, so I suppose you can give little kind of family names to things. Absolutely. But, uh, yeah, I remember him him saying always, oh, nuggy Seeker. And I was like, what does that mean? And after a while, I realised, it meant another music he wanted more music on his little thing nuggy seeker <laughs> so sweet oh. and I'm just thinking about twins too yes. I've heard that sometimes twins tend to develop speech and language a little bit later than yeah. singletons because they are able to communicate with each other not using traditional yeah. speech and language is that true or is I that think, just? I mean amazing? twins
2: we know that children we know that twins do develop their language a little bit slower. And I think as a parent of, if there are parents of twins, you know, to be reassured by that, that their milestones, their language milestones will be a little bit behind. I think the reasons behind that is, some of the reasons is that often parents, like I said, children need that engagement to learn words. And if you're talking to two, you might be talking to one and the other one's listening. So they're not necessarily getting that full one-to-one attention. And also one twin might communicate slightly more than the other one so sort of speak for the other twin as well it is something that's in the research literature that twins will will speak slightly later so it's very common i think lots of twins come to sort of speech and language therapy drop-ins or you know little classes to boost those skills but um it is it's very common that that's the case yeah
1: okay and then obviously as your child gets older you know every day they're learning new words they should be able to communicate a little bit better but do you find that there's often a sort of I've just recorded last week a podcast about teenagers and teenagers often become a little less vocal yeah. and able to or willing to communicate I suppose not able a bit more reticent I definitely noticed that a bit more with my my 10 year old is that is that quite normal in terms of child development?
2: I think in terms it's completely normal I think a lot of teenagers or children as they get older they start to communicate a lot more with their peer group and their parents become less of that sort of the main people that they're communicating with. I think always, like you said at the beginning, it goes back to that importance of listening. If your young person, as they get older, knows that they can always be have that opportunity to have time to sit down and to chat with you, and it's less about language development, more about that interaction, I think that's really, really important, definitely. And my, my kids are only little, but I hope that they will be able to do that, definitely.
1: I mean, I've found that sort of you know one-on-one time, but often you know, like my my son's just started school again. My daughter hasn't, so actually we've been walking to school every day, and it's been so nice having 20 minutes each way where it's just us. And yeah. we, and he he you know he won't won't necessarily talk to me about his friends, but he'll sort of go, you know. Who do the trees belong to on this street and we'll have sort of conversations around that and i think often that sort of having nothing specific to talk about inspires conversations that are sort of much deeper and more productive than the right i've got 10 minutes how was school are you still friends with so and so was anyone mean to you today that kind of conversation absolutely no you're absolutely right i think that's that's yeah that's lovely and presumably if your child does become a little less willing to communicate you don't then step back and think, well, he doesn't want to talk to me. You still keep on trying and trying to work out, you know, give them the opportunity to communicate because it will come back.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. And I think they're they're sort of slightly different things, aren't they, in terms of teenagers becoming more reticent than not necessarily having the skills. I would say as children kind of get older, as they get older to, to the top end of primary school, helping talking about emotions is really really helpful because obviously as you become a teenager those things come to the forefront and if they have a good emotional vocabulary and if they have those opportunities to talk about how they're thinking and feeling you're sort of laying the foundations for that so rather than having to start those conversations when they're teenagers if you're able to they're naturally sort of open channels it might be slightly easier as they get older as well
1: and I suppose modelling as a parent, your ability to talk about your emotions. I think Absolutely. the emotions, you know, when it comes to talking is so important because we often have emotions that we're ashamed of. We often have difficult feelings and you can, I think, can feel often quite lonely if no one else talks about them and shares that vulnerability. But if as a parent you sort of, talk about you know how you deal with these emotions whether it's jealousy or anger or frustration or whatever it is even you know sexual things i think what you're modeling is that firstly there's no conversation that's off limits it's fine Mm. but also it can feel really lonely i think as an adolescent you know you probably feel like you're the only one who looks like this who feels like this who wants to do this and actually normalizing those feelings and giving your children the language to do so is is probably one of the most important yeah. things that they'll learn
2: absolutely and i think that language like you say around regulating your emotions as adults i mean some of us are better than others but a lot of time you can regulate yourself by thinking i've had a bad day i'm going to sit down i'm gonna have a glass of wine or whatever it is that you want to do and that helps us to get back onto that sort of even keel but i think you know when you're younger being able to talk through those things and then identify as part of your communication skills what you need to get you back to feeling like that is really really important so I think emotional regulation is really linked to communication as well definitely
1: And you feel so much better by just acknowledging the feelings that you've got, Mm -hmm. recognizing those feelings. I've so often felt kind of anger or frustration or sadness, and I've not really identified that. But as soon as I do, just that purpose of talking about it and acknowledging it just immediately makes me feel so much better. So I'm sure that that is... Absolutely, and modeling that
2: um, they are completely normal things because, you know, I think a lot of, I sort of go slightly mad sometimes when I look at these, there's a lot of books out there which sort of talks about anger and those all these sorts of things as being a monster and it's very negative I mean I think as adults people feel a whole range of emotions through the day and you know that might be anger if you're standing in the queue and someone barges in front of you but we're able to sort of regulate it and it's quite normal to feel those things and be able to then you know kind of manage them and it's important like you say to model that as well
1: yeah Oh, Jennifer, it's been a real pleasure chatting to you. It's I to have learned such a lot and keep up the work that you're doing. But thank, thank you so you. much. It's if if people are worried about the sort of speech and language development of their yeah. children, where, where is it? Is there are there any good resources? Who should they go to? Do they go to their GP? What's that? for yeah, first I protocol? think,
2: you know, I would say the little ones, your health visitor would be great. Most areas have a their speech and language therapy service might run like a sort of drop in service in terms of you'd go along to a group session there'd be a information a speech and language therapist there you can ask questions the ICANN charity that I mentioned is the children's communication charity in the UK and there's the first words project in the US which are also really helpful I think people shouldn't jump to thinking oh I must go and access speech and language therapy from a therapist or I need to go and pay someone privately to do this it's worth just talking your concerns over with your health visitor seeing what's out there in terms of accessing support but I would say accessing support early if you are worried about any aspect of your child's communication is really really important definitely
1: yeah and i suppose it's also worth just looking at your home life and you know just seeing if there's anything that you can do in the meantime because obviously that's going to be definitely easier and probably more efficient way of dealing with it if it's if it's not a problem if it's yeah yeah definitely Oh well, thank you so okay. much. It's thank been you so a much. real pleasure chatting to you. Thank you all for downloading another episode of The Parenthood. You can subscribe, rate and review wherever you found this podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram. I'm at Marina.Vogel. But in the meantime, from Jennifer and me, thanks for listening and goodbye.